Good to see you this morning. Um, if you're not with us very much, visitor, particularly welcome to you. Um, I don't speak very much, so I usually caveat my sermons with, you know, be gentle, and if worse comes to worst, it's only half an hour of your life. Uh, that's usually how I start, and then, you know, everything else is a bonus, isn't it? So, um, so we're, in, we're doing a year in Mark's Gospel, uh, if you're not you've not been with us, and it's great because usually we do short, short series, um, and this time we're taking a lot longer to go through what's a really important book, isn't it? The gospel and, and the, life, the life and stories of Jesus. Um, so we're still in, we're in, you know, into June, and we're only into chapter 7 of Mark's gospel, so we've been taking it nice and slow. So today, if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to uh, open up Mark's gospel, there's some in front of you as well if you've not got one, and it, we're into chapter 7. And we're finishing off chapter 7, so we're starting at uh, verse 31. Cheers. Okay, so the context of this then, um, the last two weeks, obviously, we've, we, if you've been here, two weeks ago, there was an exchange. Uh, Mark t- tells a story of when Jesus came into, in, into a clash with the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, as we know, are the, the, the religious people, the so-called religious elite of the day, and uh, they were, you know, stickler for rules, and it was all about what is clean, what is unclean, what, is, what comes into your heart, is it, is, it, is it, you know, Jesus mentioned talking about, it's not what goes into your heart, it's what, what comes out is the problem, not what goes in, and he has this big showdown with the Pharisees, really, and it causes a big stir. Last week, um, straight after that, he goes out of the area and he goes up to a, a place near Tyre and si- Sidon, or Sidon, not sure how you pronounce it, um, but there's, it's, not, it's not where he's from. And it's, a, it's, it's a more of a Greek-populated area. There's people that are not Jews there. And he has this really strange story last week that we, we heard of where he, he comes into a, a strange encounter with a woman, a Syrophoenician woman, who he seems, at first glance, seems Jesus seems like he's being rude to her, but actually it sounds like he's just, he's sort of pressing her. It's a, ba- it's a kind of banterous exchange, uh, as they would say now in, as the kids say now, it's banter, it's just banter. Um, and this, this banter exchange is a really interesting account that, that Neil talked about last week. So this comes immediately after that story. And Jesus is trying to keep uh, this aspect of his ministry quite on the, on the low. He's trying, to, he's trying to stay away from crowds. Okay, that's something we're going to look at again today. So um, he goes down to a place um, which is in the northeast of Galilee, apparently, and it's called the Decapolis, which means ten cities. And again, it's a Greek-dominated area. Um, let's read the story together. Let's read the passage. So from uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and, and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis, There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. They begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spat and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them, not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He's done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So again, it's just another intriguing story that Mark tells here. So uh, Jesus heals a man, which maybe was probably what we'd expect. There's several accounts of Jesus healing people. Every every time somebody comes to him, he seems to heal them. Um, But he does it this time in a very bizarre way. 
putting his fingers in the man's ears. And then, if that wasn't weird enough, spits on his tongue. Can you imagine that? Coming to this religious, this rabbi, this guy, he's putting his fingers in his ears and he's spitting on people's tongues. So maybe that was why he wanted to do it in private, I don't know. But I mean, it was really strange looking into it. I was thinking the first question is, why did Jesus do that? Because some of the accounts, he just gives the word and people are healed. And he just says, or he says, your faith has made you well. Or he just touches them and they're healed. This time he puts his fingers in the man's ears and spits on his tongue. Strange. And I've got to say, of all the, the, the reading I've done on this, I can't find any explanation that is satisfying at all from any scholar, from any source. So if anybody's got any ideas, anybody got any ideas right now? Yeah, oh, Pat's got an idea. Go. So it's like a visual sign. Okay, could be. Yeah, it could be. Anybody else got any ideas? got me talking about it yeah okay so maybe it was there as a bit of a drumming up some interest possibly anybody got any other ideas Nev? okay so he was symbolically saying this is a man that would be spat on yeah. and actually now i'm spitting on you but not in a in a derogatory way but actually to release you from that that's interesting i never thought of that anybody else All right, well, that's three for starters. That's not bad. I've got to say it was a strange, it was a strange one, and I couldn't find one that seemed to, be, to, seem to fit. But who knows? Um, so he does this, and he heals this guy in a bizarre way, and the people were amazed. Now, it would have been amazing enough, wouldn't it, for, to be healed? But actually, that doesn't seem to be the thing that Mark seems to be suggesting is it was the most amazing. It would have been, it would have been amazing uh, just as a healing, but actually the type of healing that Jesus performed on this occasion would have been astounding for them, particularly if you knew anything about the Old Testament scriptures. Because um, if, you had, if you had any sort of knowledge of Isaiah, there's a lot of prophecies in there about what would happen when the coming kingdom, when the Messiah comes, the one that had been promised from, from long of old, who would come to liberate the people of God from not only from the Roman authorities, but from all the things that we said this morning were not right with the world and put things right and justice would, be, would, would flow like a river. And all these scriptures, lots of Old Testament scriptures from prophets saying, this is what it's going to be like when the Messiah comes and the kingdom comes and God is reigning on earth as he used to be. And that's what they were expecting. And when Jesus does this miracle, they might have heard some of the echoes of some of those scriptures in their minds. So one of them is apparently is Isaiah 35. And this is just paraphrasing some of the verses. But Isaiah said this, that when, when the kingdom comes, this, would it be, this is what it would be like. They'll see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. It was something, it was almost like a symbolic act as well as a, as a, a, a miraculous sign. Um, so as we said with, um, with a lot of Mark's uh, uh, storytelling, he is a great storyteller. And like a lot of storytellers, he puts in sort of incidental uh, details that you think, why is he putting that? What, what is important about that? Um, but it all builds up a picture and it helps you to imagine what was happening at the time. And there's some things that were quite significant. And one of the things is that Jesus, he says, Jesus looked up to heaven. Now, I'm sure Jesus was not, was, was, you know, knew enough to know that God is not up there because God is omnipresent, isn't he? So when we say, well, we're, you know, where's God? Well, he's not up there, is he? Because he's everywhere. 
And obviously the world's turning, so when you're up there, for some people, that's down there. So he's not thinking, well, that's, that's where God is. But again, I think it comes down to what Nev said. It's like a visual sign. Much like if you, you see footballers, when they go into football pitches, a lot of them, they'll pick up a grass and then they'll, you know, they'll do this. And they might, if the Catholic, they might do that and they might cross their, cross their chest. And when they score a goal, a lot of them, you see footballers and they, they sort of do this and they pray. They put their hands up to the heavens and it's almost, and they, sometimes you see them mouthing something. And often you, it's some of these footballers, when, when they're interviewed, they say, it's because I'm, I'm basically giving thanks to God. I'm saying that God is, I'm giving my allegiance to God and I'm saying God had something to do with this. I'm giving back to him what he gave to me. Like we've sung this morning, it's his breath in our lungs. We're giving it back to him. And um, I think possibly that's what Jesus was doing. He did this in other accounts where he looks up to heaven and he's saying to the people around, this is not just me. This is, this is the, the father uh, who, who, is, who I'm bringing glory to. This is who it is for. This is who my, um, I am pointing you towards. So he looked up to heaven and then another little sign was this, with a deep sigh. Some of us this morning have been sighing as we prayed and thought about some of the events of these this last few weeks. I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of sighing recently. Anybody else done a lot of sighing? Anybody doing a lot of, quite a bit of crying as well? Yeah, sighing and crying. Anybody got angry? Anger, angry? I couldn't think of the word then. Have we got angry? Yeah. Um, so even maybe disillusioned, a bit despondent, a bit thinking... What is going on? What is happening? Yeah, and over the last few weeks with all the things that have been going on, the negative things that have been going on in, in, in particularly in our country, but in the world as well, um, I think this is what Jesus was doing. I don't think he was just a bit tired and thought, oh, not another one. Oh, flipping out. You have to do another healing. I'm mean, meant to be having a day off here. Um, I don't think he was doing that. I don't think he was annoyed that somebody comes to him when he was trying to be away from the crowds, even though Mark tells us that's what he was doing. He was trying to be away from the crowds, take some time out. I think he was saying because he saw just what a broke, just another symbol of a broken world. A man comes to him, he, he's, he's isolated. He can't communicate. He perhaps can't even work. He, uh, he's probably, as Nev said, he's probably um, spat at and rejected and vilified by his community and by onlookers. Uh, and I think Jesus is seeing him saying, oh, wow, the world is a broken place. This is another person who's, who's isolated. It's another person who's, who's not in the right place. And, uh, and I think I can relate to that this week. You look at the world events and you think this is not how it should be. But as Tom said, thankfully, this, this is not where the story ends, is it? We know that there's going to be a, a day of redemption. There is going to be. And that's what they're expecting, these Jews. They're expecting uh, the day of redemption, the coming Messiah. So with a deep sigh, he says. And then um, <clears throat> another little interesting detail is that the New Testament is mainly written in Greek. But every now and again, you get one of the, uh, the, the storytellers telling you, putting in a, a different type of word in a different language. And this one's in Aramaic. Um, so we've got the whole translation in Greek, but then we've got this odd word that's not in English. And he's saying, this is significant. So this is a word that you really need to understand. This is a significant part of the story. Ephatha, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but that's how I'm pronouncing it. And it means be opened. Now he could have used a Greek word that meant be opened. But clearly, because he's using this particular word, there's got some special significance. And actually, what the word means is not only uh, to an opening of a door or, or to, in this case, an ear, but actually the opening of one's whole self. Opening your whole self. And I think he was using, Mark was using this, this story, obviously it's a true story as well, but it's his story as a metaphor 
for somebody who'd been isolated and he, couldn't, he wasn't fully open to the word of God. He couldn't hear the word of God because he was deaf. He couldn't share the word of God because he was mute. Um, and so he probably was quite isolated. And this, when Jesus performs this miracle, he's not only opening his ears to the word of God, he's not only opening his mouth, but he's opening his whole being to the grace and wonder of God. And I think it struck me that that's just exactly what God's tried to do today. All of Jesus' healing accounts were never meant to be just, just Jesus saying, look, I'm a powerful, uh, I've got some special power that must be from God, although that's true. They weren't just to say, this is the, I'm the coming Messiah and this is the identity that I'm revealing to you. I am actually the one you've been waiting for, although that's true as well. Actually, the signs of, these were signs of the kingdom. And uh, when, when Jesus heals somebody, what he's wanting is not just for them to say, great, that's brilliant, now I can go get on with my life. He's saying, actually, do you realize that there is a God who loves you and there is another way, there is, there is somebody to follow. There is a, a repentance moment where you say, I'm going to turn, for what you've done for me, I'm going to turn around and start following you. He wants the whole being to be open. And I think that's still true for us today, isn't it? I know I've told this story before, probably a couple of years when I preached uh, a couple of years ago. I used to do a prayer ministry on what is now Aldi. It used to be the co-op. And Debbie, you were involved in it. And Rosie was and a couple of others. And we used to just put a banner up outside the co-op and just say, what prayer on the streets, it said. And we used to say, what, what can we pray for you for? So much like some of you guys did down on the Dutchie and um, Dutchie estate. And uh, forgive me if you've heard this story before, but I think it bears repeating. I was there, and a lot, most of these Saturdays I go, people ignore you. Some people give you abuse. The odd person will get into a conversation with you and even fewer will ask for prayer. I was in the middle of this cop and it was a bit of a uh, sort of a discouraging day like that. I was in, it was pouring down. And then these lads came in that I'd seen around the area and they were skater lads. They'd go on the car park with the skateboards and you know, they're doing all these crazy moves and stuff. And they come in and they say, whoa, what's going on here? What's all this about? Like, well, what are you doing here? What's this panel? And, all this, and they, were, they were interested. And then when I said, well, we're just, I'm a Christian from a local church and I'm just here to pray for people. And he was like, oh, right, okay, right. Uh, I said, well, is there, and I just said, was there anything I can pray for you for? He said, yeah, yeah, there is actually, yeah, I've got a problem with my knee, like I did a skating injury. And uh, yeah, so can you pray for my knee? And all his mates were laughing. And I was thinking at this moment, I'm thinking, right, this is, this is a great opportunity, God. Please do something because my faith is not as great as it should be. And um, he sat down and I said, I'm just going to put my hand on your knee. I'm going to pray for you. And I just, simple prayer, Lord, please heal this guy's knee. Jesus' name. I think it was something as simple as that. And to his astonishment and mine, he got, gets up and says, oh no, this is, this is crazy. This is mental. What's going on? My knee's better. And all his mates going, you're sure you're talking rubbish, mate. And I was like, no, no, this knee's And I was, he was absolutely, and I'm thinking, well, either he's the best actor ever or this, <laughs> this actually happened. And, and I'm thinking, whoa, this is amazing. I'm quite, I'm quite astonished as well. So his mate goes, can you pray for me as well? I've got a problem with my toe as well. It's broken and it's never been right since. And I said, yeah, so at this point I'm thinking, oh, faith is getting bigger here, I'm getting a bit more confident. He sits down, do exactly the same, and again, to his astonishment and mine, he does the same thing. He goes, no way, that's crazy, mine's bad. And then he starts ringing his mum and says, mum, there's this guy in the court, outside the court, and he's been praying for people, um, do, do you want to come down? And, she's, and she, she turns up in her car. And she starts pouring out her heart to us about all sorts of things that are going on in her life. I think she, she just recently had a divorce and lots of different things. She's pouring out, she's in floods of tears and a few of us pray for her in the car park. 
And I just thought it was an amazing day. It was, and it, was a, it was a reminder of me that God is still in the business of touching people's lives. But what I did think was, who knows what's going to happen with those lads and that lady? And who knows where they are now? I don't know. I've, I've not even really seen them since. But what I did think was, that was just a sign and a pointer to something else, wasn't it? If that is where it ends, that, was not, that wasn't enough. That they, if they didn't open their whole being to God, that's not, it's not being fully, that the goal's not been achieved, has it? The, the, the aim of, of, of things like that, these miraculous events where God does touch people's lives, is that they would then open their whole being to him. And that's what Jesus, uh, Mark's saying is, if after means it be opened, all of your being, not just, great, thank you very much, I'll go away and live my life, carry on exactly as I was. Um, so, and I was thinking as well, just about, uh, in our culture, clearly there needs to be much more than miraculous signs, although miraculous signs would be nice. Thank you very much, God. Please heal more people. Um, but I was watching a Darren Brown show. I don't know if you heard of Darren Brown. I know, I know a few people have been to see him. And he's a sort of illusionist, um, but he, and he had a background in, 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 in a bit of a background in the church and, and I think moved away from it uh, for various reasons. Uh, and he's a, he's a brilliant entertainer. And he, but he did this sort of mock show where he, he basically pretended to be a, a, a heal, a, an evangelist healer. And he sort of, he made it like a church service. It was in like an Apollo theater. Anybody see that? I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. I got, I've got to say, I was, I was amazed and a bit alarmed in equal measure for the whole, because he seems to be, he, he, asks, he seems to have words of knowledge. He seems to be. Like, he's basically saying, this isn't spiritual. This is just, I'm suggesting things and I'm putting things, and you're telling me things without you even realizing it. But the amazing thing is some people came forward and seemed to be healed. They seem to get healed of ailments that they've had for years. Some of them had all sorts of injuries. And again, they were either brilliant actors or this actually happened. And I've got to say, a lot of them, there was a lot of them. There were people queuing up, just like it was like an evangelistic um, meeting where people come forward to healing. It was really bizarre. But it just got me thinking again that people like spectacle. They don't want to really have their lives changed and, and have any response. They just want to get well. And people will do anything just to get, to get well. And again, it's just a reminder, really, that particularly in our sort of sceptical culture, even just healing and miracles are not going to be enough. The whole person needs to be opened up to, to God by the Spirit of God. Um, I read this quote this week, and it says, bad news travels fast, good news takes a scenic route. And uh, I think that's quite, there's some, definitely some truth in that. And obviously, as we've mentioned already, um, our culture and our news, particularly our social media as well, is dominated, isn't it, by pretty much negative, negative stuff. Genuinely good news. And I'm not talking about like, these pithy remarks that sometimes I make about a hedgehog being found in my cellar or, uh, you know, oh, I had a really nice day out at the park or I had a lovely tea tonight. I mean, genuinely good news uh, is quite hard to come by, isn't it? Um, and... Um, <clears throat> Like several accounts of Jesus' healing, Jesus commanded this guy not to tell anyone, which seems completely counterintuitive, doesn't it? He does this amazing miracle. This guy's opened up to him, and he's saying, please don't tell anyone. So again, he did this in a previous account, and I know Neil talked about this, but obviously it begs the question, why? Why did Jesus tell him not to go and tell people when clearly he's done something miraculous? So a few potential explanations of that was perhaps it was because certain acts had attracted controversy. He's actually in the region where, do you remember the, um, the, uh, the guy that was, that was uh, possessed by a demon? And he says, just cast me in, let him cast me into the, uh, that we are, the demon responds, we are legion, we are many. And just cast us into the pigs. And the pig, Jesus cast them out into the pigs. And the pigs all run off the cliff and die. 
Well, that, and then Jesus gets kicked out of the town because he's just basically ruined someone's livelihood. Um, that's the same region that Jesus is in now, the Decapolis. So it's possibly that Jesus is saying, hang on a minute, I don't want to cause too much of a stir. I've been here before and I wasn't that popular and they actually told me to leave. So it could be that. Also, bearing in mind the context of the, this, this story, G, John had attracted an awful lot of controversy and look what happened to him. His head, he was beheaded, wasn't he? Um, and maybe Jesus is thinking, now is not the time for me to go to the cross. Now is not that I've still got work to, do, to be done. But if you go away and start telling people right now, they're going to want to take, take my head as well. So there's potentially that as well. The other thing might be that Jesus, was, his reputation as just a, a Darren Brown type figure, an illusionist or a miracle worker, is getting out of hand. People are coming to, to flock to him just to see, see amazing things. They're not interested really in his teaching. They're not really bothered about having to change their lives in some way. They just want to see an amazing spectacle, like a lot of us do. So who knows, whatever, whatever the reason was for Jesus saying that, this guy could not keep it to himself. And it say, the tech mark writes, how, however much Jesus told him, he did the opposite. So it must have been Jesus, he must have seen him, he must have gone straight away and started telling people. Jesus said, no, 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 just, just stop that. Oh, just, just say what just happened to me. No, no, please stop that. And Jesus must have been pleading with him. It wasn't just that he told you once, he was pleading with it. He said, the more Jesus told him not to tell, the more he told. And it just got me, it was a beautiful, it's a beautifully ironic scenario this, isn't it? There's something beautiful about, there's a mute man. He can't talk, and Jesus heals him and then tells him not to speak. What a bizarre thing. Like, so he can't talk, he just gets to, to say his first words, or for first words for a long time, and Jesus says, don't speak about it. And then, what does he do? He ends up becoming this mouthpiece spokesperson for the gospel. And it's just a beautiful imagery that, that, you know, that, that a mute man becomes a spokesperson for the gospel. And it got me thinking... Um, of another story that if you've done the Alpha course, Nicky Gumbel t- tells it on the old, the old videos. Um, and he talks about a lady that went on Alpha, the, exploring a Christianity course. And she said, I, I, love, I love Jesus. I really believe in him. Um, but the thing that's holding back is I just, I just cannot, I know that the Great Commission is we have to go and make disciples and tell people about our faith, but I just cannot do that. I'm so painfully shy that I cannot imagine having to tell somebody about becoming a Christian. I just, that's just going to hold me back. And, um, and it's really interesting, the group leader, to the astonishment of all the people in the room, said, don't worry, this can just be our little secret. You don't have to tell anybody. And everybody's going, what's he on about? Of course she has to tell some." And, and she says, really? She said, no, don't worry, you don't have to tell anybody. It's fine, just, just keep it. we'll just keep it in this little group. And she says, brilliant. And then suddenly she goes home and starts telling everybody about it because the pressure's off, and she, but she can't help it. And I just thought this amazing thing that because she felt she had to, she couldn't. But when she did, the pressure was off and, and, and she, she overflowed with the goodness of God. And it just reminded me, thought, how often do I overflow or do we overflow with that, the words of, of, of Jesus or the, the, the truth of the gospel in our lives? We're, we're very quick to jump on, um, you know, in political debates on Facebook and stuff. And I foolishly got into a, a debate with somebody on Facebook, which was, just, which was just a disaster the other week. And I've realized I shouldn't do, probably get into any debates on Facebook because it's just not a good idea. Um, but we're so quick to jump and criticize and jump on things and share things that are negative and criticism of political figures or policies or whatever it is. But how quick are we to share the goodness of what God's done? Because I'm not talking about those Christians that just basically every, every conversation they try and get Jesus into it. Because I know people like that and it's embarrassing at times. Um, and it's really inappropriate. I know that somebody shared on Facebook the other week after the, the, the One Love Manchester gig. She put on Facebook, um, 
oh yeah, great gig, great success. Uh, Jesus won, devil nil. And I was like, in people's minds, they're thinking, you've just had this horrendous atrocity. Um, surely it's at least one all. Uh, but I mean, you know, terrible. That's kind of like, that's, that's such an insensitive thing to say, isn't it? So I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the natural conversations we get into where, people, where you just can't help but share something of the goodness of God. Um, and these are questions, aren't they, worth, worth asking ourselves? And this sort of story brings um, that into sharp focus. So if I get to the end, what does Mark really want us to know then in this story? It's another encounter that Jesus has with outsiders. It's another, it's a very pointed comment. It was, it could, it was, it's, it's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. It's a, it's a, a person who's, who's, who's got mental health issues. It's somebody who's possessed by a demon. It's, it's all this. Jesus is constantly seeking out or changing the lives of people who are isolated. And it just got me thinking, we did this a few, month, few weeks ago in the first service, in the first Sunday, and Gemma asked us to think about people that might feel isolated. Um, and, um, and I thought about the sort of scenarios, and obviously in this case it was somebody who was, had a disability, and he must have been isolated for that. And some of us know what that feels like, or know people that, that are in that situation. You feel isolated because you're ill, because you can't work, or because you can't get to places, or because places aren't accommodated for your your disability or your health issue. If you're unemployed, I know there's people in this room today who are unemployed and don't want to be, and it's isolating. You, you're trying, I'm trying to put myself in that position. Obviously, I'm only, I'm only surmising I've never been there, but you know what it feels like, and you know how difficult it is and how isolating it can feel. If you're from a different culture, as we've, we've spoken to Aman and Co before, and just how difficult somebody, particularly at the moment, if you're seen with a different colour skin, even if it's nothing to do with any of the countries that are involved in the news, it's attracting hatred. People are attracting hatred for no good reason than, other than they look like they're from a different country. And that's, that's, it's, it's even more than, it, than, than, than ever at the moment, how isolating that could feel. Perhaps you're new to an area, you come to a new area, you don't know anybody, it's very difficult to settle in. Um, maybe there's no way of... Of, of meeting people, you don't have a hobby yet, you've not attached to a church or you've not really made much friends at work. Elderly people, and again, you know, obviously I'm not in that situation at this moment. I'm surmising, but I imagine that if you're, you know, if you're older than average, let's say, uh, again, certain things, uh, people almost, I think you mentioned the other week, Pat, some people treat you like you don't exist, don't they? They ignore you because you're old, <laughs> don't they? Which is, it's just, what a crazy thing that is. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're in a conversation and you're dis- discounted because somehow you're not in the same age group as the other people that are talking. Isolating. Um, and sometimes it's because people have made bad choices. They're, they're living lifestyles. They've, they've made a mistake or they've been on a path that's led to uh, a situation where you know, they're in a, a difficult situation and people say, ah, that's your fault because you've done that to yourself and you deserve everything you get and you're isolated because of it and you're vilified because of it. And again, very topical at the moment, people with different opinions. It's amazing how, I mean, Andrew mentioned this um, the other week, but um, it's amazing how liberal people can be until you disagree with them. Uh, they're really liberal. There's lots of liberal, um, you know, left-wing Labour Party and others uh, supporters on Facebook, of which I am one, but... Um, as soon as you disagree with the populist opinion of that group, how aggressive people can be. 
wow, incredible, people I've never met and I've no, you know, will never see again abusing you, uh, uh, keyboard warriors behind the keyboard, very, very bold behind the keyboard. It's like Paul saying, I'm bold in letter, but not so bold up front. It's very much like that on Facebook. I'm bold behind the keyboard, but not so bold face to face. But that's what people are like at the moment, and that's what, that's what it can be like. It can be very isolating. I actually had an anxiety for about two days because of this stupid debate. I'm thinking, why am I anxious about this? Some guys I don't know about something that's not even that important. And I'm anxious about it. And I'm going to work thinking about this, this anxiety. What am I doing? This is crazy. And obviously those going through difficult situations. Um, again, forgive me for sharing a story that for those who are on Beyond Sunday already know. But at Kids Club we do on a Tuesday night, um, twice in the last for three or four months, two absolute strangers have come to me on the door of Kids Club and opened up to me about their relationships breaking down. And I, I didn't ask them anything. I don't know anything about them. I barely, one guy I literally met twice. The other guy I think I'd met twice or three times. And I just said, how are you doing? How's your week been? And one of them said, actually, my wife's going to leave me. Not very good. <laughs> and I thought, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. And then... We got into a chat and obviously, you know, I offered to support him and pray for him and all the rest of it. And the second guy, exactly the same thing. It's really bizarre. The second thing, he came and said, not very good actually, my wife wants a divorce. And we got into a, a chat about it and it, he basically opened up completely to me and, and I just said, look, you know, I'm here for you if you want to go out for a drink, if you want to get together for a chat and I'll pray for you. And as I said, I'll pray for you. He broke down in tears. This is the middle of kids club. He was really, you know, he was trying his best to hold it all up. But he's in the middle of, middle of, in front of all these kids and people he doesn't know. And he's breaking down. He feels isolated because he thinks nobody knows. I've got nobody to speak to. And he must have just felt at ease speaking to a stranger. And he just reminded me, I went home that night and I thought, how many people are in this city who must be in situations like that or similar to that who are isolated and just need somebody to just really show that they care about them? I mean, my, my conversation with him felt so shallow and so, you know, incredibly pitiful, really. But it meant an awful lot to him. And he sent a message later on um, uh, to say it, it did mean a lot to him. And I just thought, you know... We, we are the ones out there in our workplaces, in our communities, in our streets. There must be hundreds of people around us who feel isolated. There must be hundreds of people around us that just you scratch the surface a little bit and they just need somebody to, to invest some time in and they just need somebody to listen in here. They need somebody who will offer to go for that drink with them or have a coffee with them or whatever. And um, it's just a challenge really for, for me and obviously for you as well uh, to see who's around you. Um, so this is the end, really, the two points. How might this gospel account influence our lives? Two obvious points, really. One is that if Jesus goes out of his way to include the isolated, how might we follow his example? And I know some of you are doing it, and probably all of you are doing it to a greater or lesser extent in different ways. But it's just a reminder again is that actually this, tomorrow there might be somebody feeling really isolated at your workplace or in a social group you belong to. I went to a barbecue the other week and... There was a, a, my friend's mother-in-law's Russian. She doesn't speak much English. And she's on her own in the corner. And I think this is just a trivial occasion. It's a barbecue. But nobody's talking to her. Because it's really difficult to talk to somebody who doesn't speak your language. It's really hard. So it's easier just to, just to think, well, just somebody else will do it. It's all right. You know, it's not even my family. I'll just stick. And I just, I just really felt for her. And I thought, I'm going to just try and make some effort to go and speak to her. So I went to speak to her. And it, she's really slow. And she's going, we're both doing these gestures. These, um, How's your children? And she's doing this. And, she's going, and I'm going, yes, 
they're very big, big, you know, and then we like hands are in the air to try, and even these exaggerated pronunciations and slowing down your speech. And I'm thinking, I mean, it felt so ridiculously bad, but I just thought, you know what, just do my best to try and include her, even for five minutes, into a conversation that she couldn't, she couldn't, she wasn't having. Um, and it's little things like that, isn't it? It doesn't have to be amazing uh, displays of let's go and set up a charity for you know a food bank or whatever, which is a great thing, or whatever, or the, you know Boaz. Like it's not, it doesn't have to be an amazing, great um, uh, uh, endeavour. It can just be small ways. And finally, it's a challenge for me. Do I still overflow with the good news of what Jesus has done? Or am I in danger of times of, of being mute because I'm too worried about either what people will think of me? Or really, I just, I've just become a little bit apathetic. I kind of like, yeah, Jesus is great. Yeah, my life, I'm a Christian. Yeah, it's brilliant. And then, and then before you know it, you, you know, you, the goodness of God is rarely on your lips. You rarely speak to anybody. You rarely get into conversations. And essentially, you're living not too dissimilar to how you were before you were a Christian. And it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge for me. It's a constant challenge. And this is not a pressure thing. Oh, you must go out and tell people like the woman at the Alpha course. Actually, you're free to tell people. And if we reminded us, that's why we sing these songs, isn't it? Because we remind ourselves that God has done so much for us. And that's why we read the word of God, because we remind ourselves, this is the truth of God. God has done so much for us, and he has a plan and a purpose for us. We should overflow with that to outsiders. So to finish, this is a story of an isolated man who couldn't communicate, who after an encounter with Jesus becomes a mouthpiece for the gospel, which I think is a beautiful story. Hannah and Co, would you do you want to come back? Be great. Sorry. Okay. Okay, one second. Let me get you a microphone, Polly. Think it'll reach? I'll take a miracle. Yeah. My daughter was stood at a bus stop a few weeks back and she's very overweight and, you know, and this guy pulled up on a bike, didn't know her, didn't know him, and he started abusing her and shouting, you fat, bad words and all this, and it stopped her from going out nearly. She mm. said, I'm not going out anymore, Mum, I'm just going to stay in the flat. Mm. And that's how easy you can be isolated. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Pauline. And on the flip side of that, a very, again, another trivial one, one of my students, in fact, he wasn't even a student that was blown, I was sitting outside really angry about, about some students not doing some work. And this guy, a complete stranger, came and brought me a flake, a uh, chocolate bar flake. And he went, there you go, mate, are you a teacher? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, there you go, just to cheer you up, there you go. And then he just gave me this flake. And I was like, cool, there is some goodness in the world. Uh, I know that's a trivial example, sorry. But um, it cheered me up. And you think sometimes you have to also remember that there's, there are good, good stories. There, are good, there is goodness, isn't there? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you again for this story. A little short story uh, happened a few thousand years ago. And, uh, and yet, once again, we can see ourselves in that story. And we can see uh, other people in that story. And it's not that different uh, now in, in our society, in our culture, to it was back then. There's still lots of people isolated, and there's still so many people who need to be opened up to the goodness that you have for them. Lord, we pray, um, Lord, that you would uh, remind us and inspire us again 
by your spirit to uh, be compassionate and to have our eyes open to those who might be isolated or maybe feeling disconnected from others. It's easy to become, be compassionate when big, big things happen and, and uh, big terror attacks and atrocities, but Lord, we also want to be, uh, have eyes for, and co- of compassion for the small things and for those occasions where we just need to, to spend a bit more time with somebody or we just need to ask that question like we really mean it rather than something that we're just trying to do and we just do by, by rote. So we pray for your compassion again, Lord. We pray for your eyes to see uh, as, as you see. And Lord, we pray as well for, um, for our whole beings to be opened up again to your wonders. God, for the reminder of just who, how great you are and how your love is for us. A father who loves his children and gives good things to us. Help us to be grateful and to be the people that overflow with your goodness. People that are so full of the love and grace and truth of the gospel that we can't help but overflow. Not because we have to, but because we want to, because it's coming out of us. And Lord, we pray for that, where we've become a bit dry, where we've become a little bit apathetic, or where we see evangelism as just something we have to do because somebody's told us we should. Lord, forgive us. Help us to, to be the sort of people who overflow by your Spirit. And Lord, may we be, be people that, that bring good news, Lord, into, into situations, into workplaces, into our families. And Lord, even in our church where people might feel isolated, may we be people that are good news to those who are isolated and rejected. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.